Amen. Well, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Bring your Bible every week. Bring a pen. Take notes in the bulletin. An active, engaged listener shows the Lord you want to hear from him. 1 Timothy 2, the new series is called Frontlines of Faith. The Apostle Paul is challenging the pastor Timothy and what it is that he needs to defend and fight for in the church. And so we're learning from that. But 1 Timothy 2, the topic of the day is prayer. After getting through initial remarks and sharing his testimony, the Apostle Paul says he calls, he urges for the church to get to prayer. Um, I was so encouraged this last week. Maybe you've heard of the event called See You at the Pole. You heard of that event before? It's where high schoolers in the United States and even around the world get together and pray for their schools. Just back in 2010, they estimated that 3 million high schoolers prayed for their schools on that one day. We've got pictures of students from our youth group and students from other churches' youth ministries showing up um, to pray at their schools. We saw that there was a presence at uh, so many schools in the area, Stag, uh, Sandberg, Shepherd, people at Oaklawn High School. Uh, there were people at Oak Forest High School, and they were there early 7 a.m. just praying and pleading and asking for God to bless their school. And then uh, we had an idea this year. We said, well, hey, why don't we pass out invitations at every school and say, you're welcome to come to Harvest Palace tonight, and we can all pray together for the school. So we'll start the day and end the day in prayer. And so we've got a picture uh, at our church where there were students from three separate high schools and also Trinity students here. And we all ended the day in prayer, praying again for all these schools and for God to do something special. So I was so encouraged by this. And you know what we're going to see in God's word today? We're going to see that prayer is crucial for the mission to go forward. Prayer is the gas pedal of evangelism. And if we put both feet on that pedal and floor it, the gospel is going to go forth faster than ever. If we neglect to pray and the fire of prayer goes out, then the gospel will not spread rapidly and be honored as God intends it to be. So today we're all getting a call back to prayer. Let's begin with a word of prayer. (laughs) Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for prayer. Thank you for the idea. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, O Lord, that you would even make it possible for us to enter your holy presence. We're grateful, Lord, that you would open your throne room up to us, that you would open it up to your servants, that you would welcome us in any day, any time, for any reason. You love to listen to your children. So our Father, we just ask you that as we hear about prayer, that you would light the fire again, that you would get us fired up again. And we ask your blessing upon all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are you in the Bible? Are you in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1? You'll remember that we've already been through chapter 1. We've already heard about Paul's testimony. We've already heard about the purpose of the book. We've already gotten our bearings. And so here we pick it up in chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what it says. First of all, then, stop. What do we learn about prayer right off the bat? Right after coming out of chapter 1 where he sets the stage and he reminds Timothy of his story, he says, all right, first things first, pray. Pray. Hey, write this down. Here's the first thing that we learn about prayer today. How should we pray? Well, pray first, not last. Pray first, not last. Isn't it sad how we wait Until everything has fallen apart. The house just burned down. Well, I guess we better pray. Now that everything's gone wrong, I guess it's time to pray. We pray last. The caboose, not the engine. 
Why is that? Why so often do we wait far too long to pray? Why do we let things develop and get worse and worse and worse and finally, all right, I'll pray? There could be a couple of reasons. I think one reason is we kind of like to do life all by ourselves. Am I right? We, we don't think we should need help from God. We think if everything's running right, we should actually be able to do it all by ourselves. We think it should be the exception when we need God, not the daily rule. We want to do it all by ourselves, independent, without any help. Check this picture out. This is a picture of a dog who is taking care of everything all by himself. He's taking himself on a walk. Thanks a lot. You don't want to walk? I'll take myself on a walk. Thank you very much. I feel like that's our attitude, isn't it? You know what? I'm going to do it all by myself, and maybe once in a while when I'm really in a jam, then I'll pray to the Lord. I think we pray last because I think we assume that if you're a Christian, you really shouldn't be all that needy. You know, like if we're blessed by God and we're walking on the straight and narrow, we really shouldn't need to constantly go back to God and whine for things. I mean, admit it. Don't we as Christians kind of look down on those fellow believers who always have problems? Don't we kind of look down on them? Oh, you have all those problems, huh? Hmm. God must not love you as much as he loves me because I don't have very many problems. I'm blessed. Isn't it sad? Oh, let's all gather around our Christian sister over here. She still really needs God a lot. Let's pray for her. We look down on Christians who have all sorts of needs as if something's going wrong in their faith and not as if something's going right in their faith. I think we're proud when we don't need anything from God. I think we're also complacent. We think we can do things by ourselves. I think we maybe feel like, like we're, um, you know, we're... we're wearing God out. You know, I feel like maybe uh, we don't go to him first because we think he's going to be irritated with us. Here she comes again with another burden. My goodness, when is this going to stop? I think we think that we're kind of burdening God when we go to him first. But here's the thing. The truth about your heavenly father is he wants you to pray first. What are the things that you should be praying about that you haven't been praying about? What are the things you should be praying about yesterday? What are the problems you should be praying about in your life right now? Who are the people you should be praying for in your life? What are the choices that you have in the next few months that you're going to be making that you should be bathing in prayer? God wants us to pray first, not last. That's why the Bible says, first of all, then I urge I urge, I'm exhorting you, I'm strongly encouraging you to do this first. Pray, pray. Hey, all this week, I want you to say it like a hundred times. You know what I want you to say? I want you to say, okay, okay, okay. But first, let's pray. I want you to say it time and time. Okay, yeah, that's right. But first, you know what? Let's pray. Because prayer is for everything. Hey, before you take a long road trip, before you head off for school in the morning, Before you start dating a guy, before you pick up the phone to make the tough phone call, you know what? First, 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 I'm going to pray. We don't think prayer is for everything, though. When I was a teacher, before I was a pastor, I had a third grade student. He once said to me, prayer is for food. I was like, that's it? But on a bad week, honestly, isn't that the extent of our prayer life? Prayer is for food. That's all I did this week. I just prayed for my food. Prayed for my food. Doesn't make it any healthier. Sometimes that's what we sink down to, just prayer being for nothing but food. But we 
The Bible, God urges us here to pray first, not last. Do you know this? You might feel like prayer is like a special time of the day or month. Like, you know what? When you pray, maybe you, you were trained growing up that it's like a serious thing, that you have to take up a certain posture and be in a certain place and even, and even have a certain voice. Dear Lord, oh, how I beseech thee. And you're like speaking in old English. Oh, thou hast been faithful toward thee. What are you doing? Talk to God. He wants you to talk to him. He doesn't want you to try it to morph into some other strange medieval somebody. You can be yourself, you can talk to God, and you can do it first, not last. Pray. Here's number two, write this down. Pray first, not last. Pray for specific needs. Pray for specific needs. Uh, the Bible's now going to give us four general words that are used for prayer. And they're synonyms. There's a lot of overlap in the meaning of these words. So some scholars would say, it's not like each word means something different. It's just four bam, bam words that mean prayer. I think there are little nuances, though, to each word that help us understand what prayer actually is. Okay, so we're going to draw out a little, some some specific traits of prayer from each word to help us understand what prayer actually is. The first word used is, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. But the first word is supplications be made for all people. Supplication um, in the Greek means asking for help with something specific and usually urgent. In other words, it's a specific, I need this thing now. It's a specific request for you or for someone else. Supplication. You're asking for something that is a need. You're asking for something that's good. You're asking for something that's timely. In other words, we're supposed to ask God for help for real things that are coming up in our lives. But we don't ask God for help. Why don't we ask God for help? Well, maybe it's because we, we don't want to bother him, but maybe it's because we, we asked last time and he didn't do anything. Maybe it's that pain of unanswered prayer, right? Where we did ask, but nothing happened, so now we're reluctant to ask again. Sometimes we don't ask because we just think, well, we just don't think God cares about something like that. It's not big enough for God to even care about. But do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The Bible depicts our God as a God who wants us to shower all of our problems on him. All of them. In fact, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. Meaning he wants us to throw all of our burdens on him and he wants us to do it all day long. You learn a lot about the character of your God from that trait. Okay, just pick the one person in your life who's needy. The one person who always has problems and he'll t- who will tell you about them. And I dare you to pick up the phone this week and call that person and say, listen, person, I really want to hear about all of your problems right now. In fact, I've blocked out the entire day. We can get together in person if you want, and I just want you to tell me all about your problems. Would you even do that with the one neediest person in your life? How exhausted at the end of the day? How? (laughs) I know you're smiling. You're like, that would be terrible. And you worship a God who's telling everyone to bring all of their problems all day long. How loving of a God do we have that he would ask for that? 
that he would actually want that? If he, had, if he had a cell phone, he would want it to constantly be buzzing all day long. He would never want to put it down. In fact, he'd get a little discouraged. He'd get a little upset if he got to put it down for a few seconds because he wants you to keep praying all day long. That's the God that you serve. That's the God who's asking you to pray. And he wants you to get specific. He wants you to get specific. He wants prayer to be something you rely on throughout the day, a part of your life. When I was growing up, I was a child of the 80s, so my favorite Christian hymn growing up was Living on a Prayer by John Bon Jovi. <laughs> Love that song, listened to it on the radio and on my cassette tape. Also went to a concert, sang it with all my heart, mind, and soul. Living on a Prayer. I became a Christian later, right? And, and now I'm wondering, how come he's singing our anthem? Living on a prayer. How come he's the one that's describing what Christian life should be all about? Why didn't Larnell Harris like redo that song so we could all sing it in church together, right? I mean, living on a prayer should be the Christian motto. It shouldn't be periodically, intermittently, I do this little thing called prayer when I absolutely have to. It should be something that's part of our daily life, something that sustains us, something that sustains our family, something that sustains our church, something that sustains our faith. It should mark our lives. We should pray specifically. The Bible calls for more prayer on specific things in your life. Listen, God is calling you to pray more this week and to pray about more things, specific things, to actually ask God for specific things in your life. What is it that you need? What is it that you need? Is there a bill? Is there a deadline? Is there a problem? Is, what is it? Is there a conflict? What is it? Is it something specific? Pray about it. And don't give up. Well, number three, you can write this down. Pray for general blessings. Pray first, not last. Pray for specific needs, but also pray for general blessings. So it says, I urge that supplications, that's generally specific, prayers, now that's that's a very generic, broad, general term for prayer. So you put the two together and supplications and the word prayers, and you just get the whole expanse of everything that can get prayed for. Okay? The two words together are like the bookends of the most specific, urgent thing and the most routine, general thing that we could pray for in the world. There's a danger that we could get too specific in prayer, or, or how could I put this? We could get too narrow. Meaning all we're doing is we're only praying for the urgent need. We're only praying crisis to crisis. Well, we're, we're kind of too narrow. There's also a danger that our prayers can be too broad, right? Lord, just bless everyone. Huh? What does that even mean? It's too broad, you know? Bring peace to the earth. Okay, we need to get a little more specific than that, you know? Fix this, Lord. Too broad. Uh, we can get too broad. We can get too narrow, but the Bible, here's the point, the Bible calls for all kinds of prayers. The specific, urgent, timely ones, the general form of prayer calls for all forms of prayer. Prayer for your family, prayer for your community, for your church, for your school, for your parents, for your teachers. Narrow prayer, broad prayer, routine prayer, urgent prayer. If, if the specific prayer is more like a, a targeted strike, right? Like a targeted attack. Then, then the general prayer is more like carpet bombing. Like, Lord, let's send another wave of artillery over this one area until it gets fixed. Both are needed. 
We should pray for specifics. We should pray for general blessings. Here's the next one, number four. Pray for others. Pray first, not last. Pray for specific needs, for general blessings. And pray for others. This idea of praying for others actually runs through this whole text. It says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. But the word intercessions is a really good one for us to think about others. Uh, Intercessions means a formal request put to an official, like a king or someone in office, maybe even having church authority. Intercession means a formal request put to an official. So the idea there is, I've got an appointment with a powerful dignitary and I'm going there to ask for some things for other people. I'm going to talk to the king for people who I care about. That's what this word kind of means. That's the nuance of this, of this word of intercessions. How cool would it be if you had an appointment with the president and, and he asked you, what can I do to help you? Is there anything I can do? Is there any phone call I can make? And, and, then, and then at that very moment, you were like, I got a friend who really needs something. Maybe you can help them. That's this idea of intercession. It's going and making an official formal request of somebody with authority and power for somebody else. Intercede for all people. Pray for other Do you pray for other people's problems? Well, by the end, Tom, I'm at the end of my own list. I don't have any, I don't have any opportunity to pray for other people. I've got to go pick up the kids. I'm out of time. Right? But prayer isn't just for you. Prayer is so you can pray for other people as well. Um, and, and the assumption of this word, intercession, the assumption is that you have a familiarity with the great high king and you are welcome into his holy, awesome, majestic presence at any time and you can go there to ask for things for other people. Are you, are you praying for other people? Are you interceding for other people? Are you putting formal requests in the holy throne room of God for other people? How humble and selfless it is to ask our king to help our friends. Are you praying? Are you praying for your kids? You remember Job, right? When he went into God's presence and he's like, well, I'm going to pray for him even though I don't know if there's something wrong. I'm just still going to pray for him, right? Are you praying for your spouse? Are you going into the throne room of God where you have free access and are you asking for the king to bless your spouse? Are you asking for God to bless other people in your life? We have to pray first, not last. We have to pray for specific needs and general blessings. We also have to pray for others, not just ourselves. And here's the next one, number five. We have to pray with gratitude. We have to pray with gratitude. It says here, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and then it says, thanksgivings be made for all people. So pray, pray with gratitude. When I was growing up, when I was a kid, my mom would have a, a saying that she would say when we were getting spoiled. She'd say, gimme's don't get. Gimme, I want another one. I want a toy. I want to go. Gimme's don't get. It's a good line. I still remember it, and I use it on my kids. Gimme's don't get. Gimme, gimme, thankless, ungrateful. We know what it feels like when our kids are that way to us. And you know what? When God's kids are that way, he feels the same way. Perhaps the most spoiled brat in the history of cinema is Veruca Salt, right? Right? From Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Do you remember that movie? Here's a clip. Veruca Salt asking for everything in the world. I want a party with roomfuls of laughter. 10,000 tons of ice cream. And if I don't get the things I am after... I'm going to scream. 
<laughs> I'd like to say that's never, ever our heart attitude in the presence of God. But the truth is, when we don't get what we want, we get pouty. When we don't get what we want, we get moody with God. He's taking too long. He said no. He's not giving me exactly what we want. You know, we, we're ungrateful. We're ungrateful. And, and if we bring ungrateful, self-seeking, thankless, I forgot everything you already said yes to, mopey attitudes in God's presence, that's not going to go over so well. It wouldn't work with your kids. It doesn't work with God's kids, right? I'm thankful, O oh Lord, for everything you've already done. I'm not whining. I'm not, I'm not faithless. I'm not doubtful. Well, how can I be thankful when I've got all these problems? Take the problems away and then I'll be happy again. What about being joyful in the meantime? What about showing the people around you how precious and beautiful and valuable your Lord is when you're not holding the goodie bag, when you're actually waiting for some things to come through? What about your testimony to other people when you're going through suffering, right? I mean, what about glorifying the Lord in the meantime and remembering his blessings while you wait for him to do the next amazing thing? Be thankful. Be thankful. Don't lock up your joy when your problems arrive. In fact, let your joy and your problems get freely acquainted through prayer. Pray with gratitude. Pray for others. Pray for general blessings. Pray for specific needs for other people. Pray first, not last. Here's number six. Pray for everyone, especially leaders. Pray for everyone, especially leaders. Reading on, it says in verse 2, well, verse 1, All these prayers be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Who are we supposed to pray for? Everyone, all people, it says in verse 1. All people, but especially kings and all who are in high positions. And there's some benefits that are listed from doing that. The truth is that this actually, this passage is really about how we pray to get conditions that are more favorable for the spread of the gospel. We pray so that those in authority and those around us make it more favorable and easier for us to spread the gospel without harassment. In fact, the whole service could have been, the whole sermon could have been titled Pray for Evangelism. Okay, but I'm, I'm drawing some specific applications you have for your own prayer life. But this is the main message. It's how prayer should lead to people changing in their hearts, getting saved, so that the world around you is different. Where did this come from? Well, there were false teachers in this church forming an elite club. They, they were forming a club for those who had special knowledge and superior wisdom. What they were doing is they were taking Old Testament books and they were, they were like conspiracy theorists. They were trying to figure out secret truths in the Old Testament and they were getting their little huddle together. Come, on, come in here and listen to our special secret Old Testament truths. And they were kind of blocking out other people. That's always unhealthy when cliques form in churches. It's always unhealthy. When you try and say, this is our group and no one else can come in. Well, that's what the false teachers were doing. They were saying, if you believe our secret special knowledge and you're in our secret club, and here comes the Apostle Paul, and what does he say? Pray for all people. Pray for all people. He's not like, hey, Timothy, you and me, we're going to have this special club of guys who got in the Bible, okay? And it's just going to be us. He's like, Let's open our hearts worldwide. 
Let's love everyone around us. And how vast and wide is this love that he was calling for? He said, pray for kings and all who are in high authority. Okay, now today that could mean our government, our president, our senate, our Illinois officials. That alone is kind of a scary thought. All those people, need, they need a lot of prayer, right? Amen? Okay, but, but in Rome, even worse. Emperor Nero was on the throne when Paul was writing this book. And he was wacky. Okay, he thought he was a god. And he had a cult of people around him who worshipped him as a god. So if you told his little cult of followers, hey, pray for the emperor, they'd be like, pray for the emperor? Pray to the emperor. Hallelujah. They thought he was a god. It'd be absurd for them to walk around telling other people to pray for the emperor. They deified him. But the Christians knew he was crazy. Like he really was crazy. He killed his mother and his brother. Allegedly, he kicked his wife to death. And around this time, he allowed Rome to burn and he blamed the Christians. Then he tortured them. He tied many Christians to posts and he lit them on fire as human candles to illuminate his garden so he could have chariot races as they were dying. This guy's a monster. Okay, whatever, whatever you think about your government in Illinois and the United States of America, not as bad as that. Okay, until they start building coliseums and, and sewing Christians up in the skins of animals and letting wild dogs eat them in the arena for a crowd to cheer to, it's not as bad here. And listen, if prayer is considered strong enough to change that empire, it can change our country. If prayer is called for for rulers who are sick and sinister and dark in that day, then guess what? It can actually change your world. Paul knew that the empire was turning against the gospel and he desperately wanted the church to rise up and pray, believing that even though things had gotten that bloody and dark and barbaric, that prayer could lead to an openness to the gospel. He believed that. Do you believe that? See, because oftentimes we don't believe that. What's it going to change? What is it going to do? Change the polling data? What is it going to do? It can change everything. You have to believe it can change everything. You're not just crossing your fingers when you pray. Prayer always changes everything. Okay? When you get down and pray and you stand back up, you you are walking into a new world. Something has changed about your perspective. God has chosen for His will to be enacted through the prayer of His people. Well, what do you mean? He's sovereign and awesome. He doesn't need any human telling Him what to do. True. But in his sovereignty, he has decreed for prayer to be the means through which he enacts his will. You know why that's true? When Jesus came down from heaven, he prayed. When God became a man, just imagine that. Imagine seeing Jesus flat on his face asking God for things. Do you know what you see? You see that even God knows that God's will is enacted through prayer. Jesus even knew that there were some things that God would only do if Jesus prayed. If God knows the need of prayer, how much more should we know the need for prayer? If God knows the purpose prayer serves, how much more does, should we know that? I believe there are certain things, biblically you can know this, there are certain things God won't do unless you ask Him through prayer. No until you pray. How do we know that? You have not because you asked not. Why didn't you do this? You didn't ask. There are other things I believe that God won't do. If you're just praying all alone, I don't think there are some things God won't do unless you ask the church to pray for you too. 
And I think there are certain things God won't do unless you fast and pray. The Bible talks about an escalating need of certain things in your life where if you don't pray, the answer is no. If you don't involve God's people, the answer is no. If you don't fast and pray, the answer is no. We shouldn't be surprised by it. It's the way God has chosen to interact with us. He's made prayer available so that it can change things. And and when it comes to the gospel, he wants us to pray for everyone, especially our leaders. Now, because the Bible calls for prayer for all people, kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, we can look at that a few different ways. These people, the rulers, the kings, can be kind of the group of least likely to believe the gospel. So who in your life would be least likely to believe the gospel ever? There's no way aunt so-and-so would ever believe it. She's crazy. Who in your life is least likely to believe the gospel? Pray for them. Imagine in five years if they were coming to church, singing to Jesus, reading their Bible, telling everybody they were blind and now they can see. Imagine it and then pray that it will happen. You can also view this group as those who are just authority figures in general. So pray for kings and those who are in authority. Hey, in your life, who would be those who have authority over you? Who in your life, the CEO, the regional director, the direct supervisor, the boss, who has authority over you? The Bible knows that those people have the ability to change the very culture of where you work or the city in which you live or the state in which you reside. Change the authority structure and change the world that you live in. That's why the prayer should be targeted for these people. So are you praying for those who have authority in your, in your life? Kids, are you praying for your parents who have authority over you? Are you praying for your teachers who have authority over you? What about your enemies? These could also be viewed as the enemies of the gospel, those who were spearheading the persecution. Are you praying for your enemies? For people on the farthest horizons of godliness, the darkest, most warped, most twisted, most depraved people you know, are you praying for them? Are you praying for your enemies? Are you praying for the people who are making it incredibly hard for you to walk with Christ? The people who are tempting you, seducing you to walk away from your Lord, are you praying for them? Are you praying for the wicked and the lost? I was not a Christian in high school. I didn't get saved until I was a freshman in college. So at my 10th reunion, um, everybody at my 10th reunion was shocked to find out not only was I a Christian, but I was a pastor. (laughs) They're what? You're a what? And uh, one girl in particular, when she heard that I was a pastor, she she literally screamed. She was, what? I turned around and she was like this. And we were both alto sax players in the band, so we would fight back and forth for first chair, second chair. And I, I made fun of her. She was goody two-shoes, almost perfect. I mean, I, I really made her life miserable. And so she was like, you're a pastor. I was like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and I'll never forget what she said. She looked at me and she said, I prayed for you. In high school, I prayed for you. I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. She probably wasn't the only one. (laughs) I'm glad she didn't say, I prayed against you. (laughs) Break the teeth of the wicked, Lord. (laughs) You know, she prayed for me. And now I know that she was one way God got the gospel to me and saved me, partially through her prayers. You know, who's going to say that to you? Who are you going to say that to in the future? Hey, you know what? I saw what God did in your life. You know what? I was praying for you. I was praying for you. Your enemies, those in authority over you, But sometimes we lose hope, right? Well, they're not going to change. They're never going to change. Nothing's going to change about this state. Nothing's going to change about my job. It's futile. God won't change anything through prayer. Well, 
Some of the benefits, the outcomes of prayer are listed here. It says in verse 2, that pray what? That we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Peaceful, meaning, meaning not in conflict. So pray that God changes the hearts of those around you, whether they're Christians or not, so that you will no longer find yourself in conflict or you'll no longer be defined by a relationship of conflict with these people. Pray that, there would be, uh, pray that there would be more of a peaceful dynamic in your family. Lord, just make it more peaceful at my workplace for Christians. Pray for it. It says, peaceful and quiet. Lord, it's just so loud. It's just so intimidating. That every time I bring it up, they're like, oh, here she goes again. Little Miss Perfect telling us what to believe. Lord, it's just so loud and oppositional. Can you just quiet things down? Quiet means not clamoring with trouble not clamoring with trouble. If you have peace and quiet, then what's the outcome? You can live godly and dignified lives. Okay, what does that mean? I think contextually what this means is godly means an outward devotion that pleases God. So that the thinking is you can live outwardly in a way that pleases God without the conflict that comes along with it. Meaning you're free to express your godliness because the the air has changed in the classroom. The attitude has changed at the workplace. So you know what? I can be godly without the persecution. And dignified, I like that word, it means respected. So it's like people are actually now looking up to the Christians. They know that we've got good hearts and we're not perfect, but we're, you know, we're just forgiven. And, and you know what? They're actually esteeming us because they see our love and they see our grace. And we're actually looked on in a favorable light now in my school or at my workplace. Pray for that. Pray for that. Pray that the voices of pastors would be weighted heavily in the government. Pray that the voice of the church would be powerful among the Senate and the House and even in the White House. Pray. Pray for peace. Pray for quiet that we might live godly and dignified lives. Why? Because through prayer, it makes it more possible for the gospel to spread without hindrance. You know, in the, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul was going door to door, dragging Christians out, throwing them in jail, killing them, right? And the church was praying, Lord, this guy's got to stop. And then, bam, he gets saved. And then what happens? There was a period of peace. No more harassment. And that can happen in your life. That can happen in your family. That can happen in your home, in your school. But you have to pray for it. Here's the last one. Pray first, not last, specifically, generally, for others, with gratitude, for everyone. Number seven, pray for people to be saved. Pray for people to be saved. It says in verse three, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Pray for people to be saved. We have a God who is a Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. How? through conditions favorable to the gospel that come about through the prayer of God's people. So that the gospel can spread rapidly, so that people can hear and know the truth about Jesus, and God's heart is that everyone would hear that so that they can have a chance to respond. Now this is a little theologically complex. Maybe you're, you're hoping, oh, this is a tough one. God wants all people to be saved, huh? He wants that. How come he's not getting that? Well, we're actually going to touch on this verse next week too. So, so if you're hoping we would talk about the atonement, Come back next week. We'll cover that next week. But suffice it to say, let me just say this. When the Bible says here that God wants all people to be saved, it means what it says. It means God has a heart 
a broken heart for the world, and he wants every person to be saved. It doesn't just mean every group. How do we know that? Well, in the context, the word all is used a bunch of times, and it includes the most wicked, vile person on the emperor at that time. It spreads out. Even, you know, there's problems with false teachers in this church. Okay, so God does want the gospel to spread to all nations, but clearly it says pray for all people, even the most wicked. And the Apostle Paul even says in chapter 1, I'm the chief of sinners. The idea here is that even the chief of sinners, even the man on the throne who thinks he's a God, pray for everyone, even them. It really means everyone. It means God wants all, even them, to be saved. What does that mean to us? That doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. But that means that the church should not take anyone off the hit list. And listen, maybe you've lost hope. Maybe in your life you've thought, well, that person's never going to get saved. Take them off the list. I prayed long enough for them. Apparently it's never going to happen. All people. All people. God still wants them to be saved. Why are you stopping? There's, they're not beyond the reach of the gospel yet. Why are you taking them off the list? The point is we're supposed to put everyone in our lives on the list of people who are within the sphere of prayer. We're supposed to pray for all of them. And we're supposed to pray believing that God could save them and change them and even change the whole world around us. We've got to have that faith. We've got to pray for people to be saved. We've got to pray that there would be a favorable climate in our schools, at our workplaces, in our community, so that the gospel can spread, including everyone on the list, to have a heart for all so that there will be revival. We've got to pray for it. We've got to pray for it. And prayer is the gas pedal for the gospel to go forward. God's calling for it. He's up in heaven calling for it. Hey, hey, we've got a mission. We've got to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, so get praying. Get on your knees and pray. Prayer will lead to the breakthrough. Prayer, the tears that you shed for your loved ones who are defiant to the Lord, the prayers that you pray for your children when they're walking away from the faith, the prayers that you pray for your boss or for your government that you think are accomplishing nothing, they're changing everything. They're all filed away in heaven. They're all moving the heart of the Lord to act. Pray. Pray. I love what John Piper says. He says, prayer is designed to extend the kingdom of God into fruitless enemy territory. Prayer is for war. Prayer is for war. Which is no wonder why the Apostle Paul, after saying to Pastor Timothy, wage the good warfare, then he says, first, pray for everyone. All forms of prayer for all kinds of people get praying first. And that's a message to our church today also. You know, from time to time, we like to give you a chance right here and now to respond to what you've heard. And um, sometimes we even ask, we give people an invitation to come forward. And this morning, here's how we're going to end this sermon. We're going to have a time of prayer as a church. I'm sure throughout this message, there were some needs or burdens or people that God laid on your heart. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, you pray. You pray now. And you're free to sit in your seat. You're free to stay right where you are and pray. But listen, I think that there's something special and symbolic about you actually bringing a request before the Lord. When those four friends had the paralytic, they could have just laid hands on him outside, but what did they do? They climbed up on the roof because they wanted to bring him right in front of the Lord. And I think you have a chance to either bring your own needs or burdens or to bring someone special who you love 
before the Lord, to get up and bring them before the Lord. So right now, we're going to take a time to, to pray. I'd just like to encourage you. You can come forward. You can pray right here. But let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. And if you feel led, stand up right now. Right now. Come forward and let's truly pray to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your people are gathered here just to pray for you, pray to you. We pray, O oh Lord, for you to come in power, to act, to part the heavens and come down. Lord, forgive us for when we delay. Forgive us for when we don't pray first. Forgive us for when we put it off and try and do it all alone. Forgive us for when we believe lies about you, that you would somehow be burdened or bothered. We know. Lord, how much we love it when our children come and talk to us and ask us for real things. We know that's your heart for us. So, Lord, hear our prayers and answer and meet our needs. 
Lord, we pray for others, for those in our lives who are most deeply burdened, for those without hope and without God, that you would save them. We pray for new inroads for the gospel to spread throughout this community, especially to those places that are most turned off to the gospel. We pray, O Lord, that the light of the gospel would shine even in the darkest places, save even the vilest offenders. Only you can do that. Pray for the culture of schools and businesses to change. Pray for there to be a great revival and outpouring of your spirit. May it start as we pray and cry out to you, Lord. We ask for our enemies. We ask for those in authority over us. We ask for those, O oh Lord, who are making it hard for us to follow you. We ask that you would change them. For our spouses and our children and our pastors, we ask that you would bless them. Call us again and again to prayer first this week. Respond in powerful ways. Show us again, Lord, that you have decreed that prayer would be the means through which you do so much. Help us, Lord, to know that it is your will to bless us, to hear us, that we might be displays of your glory for all to see. Hear your people from on high, O Lord, and respond in awesome power. We ask this in Jesus' name.